I want to welcome you this morning to August the 16th, 2020. Uh, it is the 227th day of 2020. So how are you enjoying 2020 so far? Has it been as exciting for you as it has been for me? This is the year in our lifetimes that is probably going to live in infamy for most of us. And the historians are going to write about 2020. And God, in his lovely sense of humor, even decided this should be a leap year. So we have an extra day in 2020 to endure, I mean, enjoy. So uh, if you are around my age, when you think about like big moments that are historical that have happened in your lifetime, like culture changing, world changing things, I think of the Vietnam War when I was a kid uh, and the impact that it had and all the chaos and all of the fallout that came along with that. Um, or maybe uh, you remember not so far ago the 9-11 attacks and the impact that that had has really changed our society forever as a result of that. And now we have 2020. And this year has contained enough trials to last a lifetime. Can I get an amen? And at a time when we're all going through so much difficulty, there's no one exempt from this. We're all going through so much difficulty here in 2020 at a time like this. Instead of joining together, locking arms, propping each other up and supporting one another, our country is the most divided it has perhaps ever been. Divided on so many different lines, divided in so many different ways. We sort of gather in opposite camps on each side of the valley and we, we sort of uh, lob missiles and grenades back and forth at the other camps who don't agree with us. On one side of the valley, you have those who stand for truth, justice, and the American way, right? And, and they're, they're saying, we need to return to simpler times. We need to get back to basic morality. We need to get back to a place where people are responsible for their own behaviors and, and where we don't just uh, honor and respect and lift up things that are contrary to the word of God and contrary to what we've always called decency. On the other side of the valley... There are those who would say truth is relative, there is no justice, and the American way is not working for way too many people. They're calling for change. They want a radical transformation of culture. They want things to be different, and not all in a bad way. They want them to be different in a way that brings more compassion, a way that shows more care, a way that shows that people care for one another and lift one another up, that doesn't leave people behind. And so on, on each side of the valley, we have decided who we are, which, which camp we're in, and we lob missiles at one another. And what we hear is extreme rhetoric from both sides of the valley and nobody's listening and nobody's changing and nobody's growing. Everybody's just digging in more and getting more solidified. At a time like that, at a time like this, wouldn't it be great to just be exposed to a voice that is sound and logical and reasonable while at the same time being compassionate and loving and caring. Well, that's why we're looking at the life of Jesus Christ. That's why this series called Follow Me is this look into the heart and life of Jesus. We're thinking about Jesus now. Last week, remember, we talked about in John chapter 1, he is full of grace and full of truth. And who do you know like that? 
Let me answer the question for you. Absolutely nobody, right? Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. He never compromised truth for grace. He never compromises grace for truth. He's full of both. And we don't know anybody else like that. So it would be wise for us, wouldn't it, to take a good, hard look at the character of Jesus? To take a good, hard look at the values of Jesus, the priorities of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the actions of Jesus. How did this amazing man, Jesus, do it? And what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? Hence, follow me. And so we're doing this series now that's helping us to take a look because um, when you get to know Jesus better, you can become more like him. That's what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. And what the world needs now more than anything is a whole lot of Christ followers who don't just talk the talk, but who actually walk the walk of Jesus Christ. And so that's our calling. That's what we're, that's what we're being stirred to. That's what we're being motivated to. I want to be one of those people who walk the walk. I want you to be one of those people who walk the walk. I want us as a community, as a church, to be a church filled with people who walk that walk, who love God and love people so much so that God uses us to change the world. So today, we're going to look at one of the qualities that made Jesus so attractive and at the same time so impactful. And, and let me illustrate it this way. Uh, this is audience participation. I want you to do this. Pick up your hands, hold them in front of your face. Look at your hands. I know some of you are not doing this. Put down what you're holding. Put up your hands. Put them in front of your face. Study your hands. Just look at them for a second. And nowadays, when we, when we bring up our hands, we also have to, you know, sanitize. So how many times in the last week have you done this, hand sanitizing, and, you know, from what they say, it kills 99.9% .9 of all the bad stuff out there. And so we have become a nation of hand sanitizers, right? But here's the thing. As we take our hands and we sanitize them, I could predict exactly what's going to happen. They're going to get contaminated again. And that's why throughout the day we have to do it again and again and again. We've washed our hands more in the last five months than we ever have in our whole lives. We've gotten hand sanitizer the way I carry it in my car. I carry it in my backpack. I got it in my office. It's everywhere because we have to sanitize our hands all the time. But when you look at your hands, what do you see? When I look at my hands, I see hands that have been used to take what wasn't mine. I see hands that have been used to hold on to what I should have given away. I see hands that have been used to hold people down when I should have been lifting them up. I see hands that have been used to strike out in anger and injury. Hands that have been known to point an accusing finger. That's what I see. There's not enough hand sanitizer in the world to clean my hands. But when I think of Jesus' hands, I think of two things. The first is the nail scars. 
I remember that Jesus loves us so much that he actually paid the price for my sin and it was a terrible price. And even to this day in heaven in his glorified resurrected body, Jesus still carries the scars in his hands. He still carries the marks of the crucifixion and those scars have become so precious to me. The hands of Jesus remind me of the grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus because of those nail scarred hands. And the other thing I think of when I think of the hands of Jesus is the compassionate touch of Christ. You know, there are a lot of words that can be used to describe Jesus, but none truer than compassionate. Jesus is full of compassion. Over and over, the Bible tells us that Jesus ministered to people out of a heart of compassion. Just think of all the examples that immediately come to mind. The widow of Nain, there's the, there's the funeral procession. The, the widow is burying her son and has no one to care for her. The Bible says that seeing this woman, Jesus felt compassion and raised her son from the dead. How about the feeding of the 5,000? The crowd had been with them for three days without food. And the disciples said, let's send them away before we leave. Jesus said, feeling compassion that he could not send them away hungry, and so he miraculously fed them. He looked out upon Jerusalem, and he literally wept with compassion because he said the people of Jerusalem were like a sheep, like a flock of sheep without a shepherd. He looked at sick people, he felt compassion. He looked at blind people, he felt compassion. He looked at demon-possessed people. When everyone else felt fear and intimidation, he felt compassion. He looked at lost people and he felt compassion. And out of that compassion, he acted. Why would Jesus, the only perfect man, feel so much compassion for sinners like us? I want you to take your Bibles and open in the New Testament book of Hebrews. Now the book of Hebrews is almost to the very back of your Bible. So if you get to say, you know, 1 Peter, you've gone too far. If you get to James, you've gone too far. But I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 4. I will give you a second to get there. And as you're going there, let me just tell you that the book of Hebrews is, is basically written to um, Old Testament saints, followers of Jesus, uh, who, who come out of Judaism, right? And and uh, the writer of Hebrews is making an argument for Jesus being the Messiah and telling us what that means. So I hope you're there. Hebrews chapter 4, let's pick it up in verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Uh-oh, that is bad news. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Our hearts are laid open. He knows our story. He knows the thoughts that go on in our minds that we hide from everybody else. He knows what we're guilty of. He knows what we're neglecting in our lives. Everything about us is laid open to him, Jesus. That's not good news, is it? But let's continue. Verse 14. Therefore... Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. 
but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. And we might find grace and help in time of need. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. Why? Because we have a great high priest and this high priest is one of us. He can sympathize with us. That, that Greek word sympatheo, which, which doesn't really mean sympathize the way we think of it. The better English translation is empathize. It's not just that he knows that we're going through something difficult and he feels bad about it. He feels our pain. Jesus sympathizes, empathizes, hurts with us. It's not just theoretical. Jesus gets it. And when you think of Jesus' interaction with people, I'm not sure any word comes to mind more than compassion. Every leper that he comes in contact with, he compassionately heals. The blind men who come to him crying out, he says, what can I do for you? Children who come to him, he welcomes them into his arms. Uh, abused women, he cares for them. Racially profiled Samaritans, he loves them. Deaf people, he compassionately heals them. Um, outcast people, he compassionately brings them into the fold. Uh, even people who are possessed by demons, Jesus compassionately restores to health and vitality physically, emotionally, and spiritually because of his compassion. So where other people felt things like fear and disdain and confusion and judgment and hatred, Jesus felt compassion. And he didn't just feel it, he acted on it. If you read the Gospels, you'll find countless examples Today we're just going to look at one and we're going to do it quickly. So turn to Matthew chapter 8. Very first book of your New Testament is the book of Matthew. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 8 with me. And let me just begin reading. We're going to look at the first four verses in Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Make a note of that. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the, to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now I know you've heard this one before. I know this is a familiar story. If you haven't heard about this leper, certainly you've heard about some of the other lepers Jesus healed. There was a whole thing where Jesus just healed a bunch of lepers. One time he healed 10 lepers in one act. And so healing lepers, not a big deal. Oh, ho-hum, we yawn, we move on. But let's think for a minute about what just happened. Think about leprosy. We don't see it today, but it was the scourge of that day it was a death sentence but not a quick and merciful death sentence a slow and miserable death sentence but that was probably the easiest part the death because by the time death came you welcomed it and it wasn't just physical death 
every part of your life suffered and died a little bit at a time. Physically, your, your nervous system broke down. Physically, you got injuries and deformities. Physically, you got infections. There was a, a rotting of your flesh and it happened gradually over time. And there was never a moment when you were not in physical agony and never a moment when anyone who came across you did not know that you were a leper. In fact, it had a social implication as well. Not only the physical suffering, but imagine this. Whenever you saw people who were not lepers, you had to cry out as you walked every few steps, unclean, unclean, unclean. So that people knew that they should have nothing to do with you, that they should stand off as far as they possibly could. Imagine the emotional impact of such a life. You, you've been separated from your family. You are not even allowed to go into the city. The only people you can be around are people who also have your same terrible disease. And so you live with the stench of this literally and figuratively at all times. And it affects your relationship with God and with the community religiously. You can't worship in the synagogue. You can't go and make sacrifices. You are forever ceremonially unclean. You can't be around your family. You can't go to the temple. You can't do any of the things that equal a relationship with God in the mind of the Jews of that day. It tears apart your whole life. That's the guy that Jesus met on the side of the road. And I want you to notice, remember in verse 1, there was a crowd. What was it like for a leper every time he came around a crowd? It was like a stab in the gut. And I want you to notice verse 2. The leper comes up to him, bows down before him and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He doesn't even really ask him. He just confesses his faith. I trust you, God. You are my Lord. I trust you. You can do whatever you choose to do. Some of us really don't believe Jesus can heal us. And I'm not just talking about a physical ailment that you may be dealing with and struggling to believe that Christ can heal you. I'm talking about an even deeper need for healing. Some of us don't believe that Jesus can really set us free from the sin in our lives. We think his grace may be enough for someone else, but I've gone too far. I've, I'm too guilty. I'm beyond reach. And if that's the way you believe, then all I can tell you is you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. He sees your sin. He knows your past. He knows your present. And do you know what he feels when he thinks about you? You who have messed up so significantly, you who keep stumbling in the same ways, you who make him promises and then don't follow them. Do you know what he thinks when he sees you? Do you know what he feels in his heart? The Bible tells us compassion. Look at how he deals with the leper. Look at verse 3. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing to be cleansed. I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. Go and show yourself to the priest. Present the offering just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Did you see that? Yeah, I know, Doug, he healed him. Yep, that's right, he healed him. But don't miss this. He didn't just heal him. 
He could have healed him with a word. In fact, the very next thing that Matthew records is him healing the son of the or the servant of the centurion from miles away with just a word. But he didn't just heal him, he touched him. With those hands of compassion, Jesus touched a leper. I wonder how long it had been since this man had experienced a loving and compassionate human touch. When was the last time he had a hug? When was the last time someone held his hand? When was the last time he kissed anyone? When was the last time he had an expression of, uh, of, of relationship physically with someone through touch? I wonder how long it had been since he had seen anything but judgment and pity in the eyes of the people that he came across. But in the face of Jesus, he saw mercy and grace and love and compassion. That's how Jesus is with every one of us. He knows all about you. <laughs> There's nothing hidden from his eyes, remember? And what does he feel when he thinks about you? Compassion. And so I want to ask you, have you ever experienced the compassionate touch of Jesus? The healing, sin-cleansing touch of Jesus? If not, let me just invite you, right now where you are, to open your heart to Jesus. You have to admit, if you're caught up in sin and you're feeling the guilt and the weight of that, you have to admit that you have too fallen short of God's standard of righteousness. It's true of all of us. And yet if you have not yet received the free gift of grace that comes from laying your life down at the feet of Jesus, calling him Lord and accepting his will for your life and being a follower of Jesus, that opportunity exists for you right now today. Don't let this morning go by without you bowing at his feet calling out to him and saying, Lord, I know you can make me clean. That same compassion that was available to the leper is available to you. And the change in your life will be greater than the change in the life of the leper. But I also have a word for those of us who have already received the grace of Christ. Already we know the compassionate healing touch of Jesus in our lives. What about you? Ah, I'm glad you asked. Remember, this is a series about following Jesus. It's a series about becoming like him, about being the light of the world. So for those of us who are endeavoring to walk with Jesus, to follow him, to be covered in the dust of our rabbi, I have two quick points. Number one, his compassion and grace saved you. And it is that same compassion and grace that will keep you. Some of you are listening today and you know that you're saved. You know your eternity is secure because of Jesus. But you're still living under the cloud of condemnation and guilt. You're still carrying the weight of your own burden. In spite of the fact that Jesus has said to you, Come to me all who are weary and, and burdened and I will give you rest for your soul. 
Some of you are stuck in a habit of sin that you have just thrown your hands in the air and said, I'm never going to get past this. Some of you wake up every day dealing with guilt and the accusing voice of Satan shouting in your ear, you can never be enough, you can never be enough, you can never be enough. And your guilt is overwhelming. Some of you are living in fear. Fear that you're going to fail again. Fear that Jesus will have had enough of you. Fear that somehow you're going to fall off the train. I want you to know, Jesus has not run out of compassion for you. He hasn't run out of grace for you. He's still your only hope. And his grace is not a one-time thing. Remember last week we saw this in John chapter 1, that for uh, of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace, the Niagara Falls of grace pouring out in our lives. It's enough, it's enough, it's enough. You need to hear this, some of you today. It is enough. The grace of God is enough. The compassion of Jesus is enough. God is not finished with you yet. It is his grace, his compassion, and his love that is going to continue to carry you all the way to the end. And the second thing I want you to know is this. If you're a Christian, you're not just a recipient of grace. You're a conduit of grace. Grace is meant to flow through you to others. It's ironic and sad how those of us who have received so much grace from God, so much compassion from Jesus, we often show so little compassion for others, so little grace for others. Those of us who are so thankful for the grace that has come in our lives and we know we would never be able to approach God without it, we want to withhold that same grace for others who are struggling in their sin today. And instead, we want to sit in judgment and point fingers and make divisions. Who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to stop judging today? Who do you need to stop looking down upon today? Who do you need to be willing to compassionately embrace with the loving touch of Jesus today? So that they can experience the amazing grace of Christ that has set you free. And they can experience that in their own lives. Why not make it your goal this week, follower of Jesus... To be driven by a heart of true compassion. And to act upon that compassion to touch a life every opportunity you get. Ask God to help you with this. That every day this week he would show you a place to offer compassion. That grace would flow through you. Not just theoretically but actually in touching the life of another person. It can happen through you every day. It's not just something that happens to you, the compassion of Jesus. It's something that happens through you. That compassionate touch can change the world one life at a time as God uses you as a conduit of compassion. Will you take that challenge? Let's pray together. Father, I want to lift up 
every person who is hearing this today stirred in their hearts and realizing that they need the compassionate touch of Jesus. Father, whether it's a person who needs to finally surrender to you as Lord of their lives, whether it's a person who has already called you Lord, but is struggling under the weight of their guilt and sin. God, I just pray that your compassion would be poured out in each of our hearts and then poured out through our lives to other people. May your name be glorified. May your name be lifted up. May you be honored among us, your church, as we seek to be followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, make us like Jesus and change the world through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.